2: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry?
1: You're listening to all the shit I've learned abroad. I'm Andrea Gillis and I'm step page we're two Canadian expats now living in
0: Australia and the UK. Between the two of us, we've been through the ringer in our travels, experiencing missed flights, volcanic eruptions, and even a terrorist attack.
1: It's not all that extreme, though. We've also experienced heartwarming, life-changing moments and met amazing people along the way. So kick back and listen to all the shit I've learned abroad.
0: Welcome to another episode of All the Shit I've Learned Abroad. I'm Andrea. And I'm Steph. Hey, Steph. We have a super exciting episode this week. Yes, yes, we do before we get into it we've got a patreon shout out
1: yes we have a new patreon donor thank you so much amy richards we really appreciate it especially right now when shit is crazy extra appreciation to you amy we're getting your package out in the mail this week it's coming from australia haven't checked hope you're in australia if not you'll get it in two months
0: (laughs) thanks amy and we just want to say a big thank you to all of our listeners and we've been getting some really nice messages from a lot of you just saying that during this really weird isolation coronavirus thing going on that our podcast has helped keep some of you company and you've listened back to some episodes about traveling while we can't travel right now so we're really grateful for you guys all listening and we hope you keep listening and we hope that we can maybe take your mind off of what's going on for a little bit
1: (laughs) yes and that's what this week's episode aims to do we have talked in multiple podcast episodes now about the women from the deviant Women podcast yes and this week in honor of international women's month we've actually we've had a crossover Yes. Podcast crossover. Yes. We've
0: done a collab with the Deviant Women themselves. Alicia and Lauren, for those of you that don't know, yeah, Deviant Women, they're another podcast on Lit Media. Steph and I are massive fans mm-hmm. of their show. So we wanted to do uh, an episode with them. Yeah. And we finally did it this week.
1: Deviant Travel Women. Yes. So women from history who've inspired us. Badass women who were ahead of their time, really.
0: Yeah. So each of us picked our travel heroine um Mm. and a woman that inspired us that's related to traveling and i'm i love this episode
1: i am hyped right now which probably isn't the ideal time to be hyped to do anything because i can't but i'm so hyped to want to do some cool shit
0: (laughs) yeah after listening to these stories and i'm sure for the ladies out there listening and the men as well you'll be inspired by these women as well so shall we get into it
1: here we go Hey guys!
0: Hi. Hi. This is a really exciting episode.
3: Oh yeah, definitely.
1: So we've got all four of us here. Uh, we got the deviant women and ourselves from all the shit I've learned abroad. Welcome, ladies. Woo. We've been wanting to Woo. do this Thank for you. a while now. Yes. We have,
2: yeah. Been talking about it for ages. So it's good to finally be doing this through the magic of the uh, of the multiple phone call internet business
3: we are all rapidly becoming experts in uh you know this this in the last couple of weeks yeah. this is as
1: worldwide as it gets really
3: yeah I mean yeah
0: Steph and I are used to doing this with two people and now yeah we've got four and we're really hoping that this is gonna work I'm doing all the editing for this episode after so <laughs> fingers crossed I don't screw this up but I feel like it's gonna yeah. it's gonna be a good one and we're so excited to do this episode with you guys like you said we've been talking about it forever and Steph and I were actually really nervous though about doing this episode with you guys because your podcast is so amazing and you guys put so (laughs) much research and like effort and time into it and and I think we were saying before like Steph and I feel like we just come on and chat shit for like
3: half an hour um but Yeah. Well, there is is a reason why we only have an episode once every two weeks instead of every week like you guys.
0: (laughs) Steph and I just have a lot of shit to chat, so. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Um,
0: But yeah, this is going to be a fun episode.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And of course, we're super excited um, because, you know, we're super excited to to join you guys because for Lauren and I, we are such travel Mm. nuts. Mm -hmm. We love travel, we love traveling, we love chatting endlessly about our own travels and so many of the women we talk about, um, also are travelers, so we're very excited to be you know, joining you guys to talk about one of our absolute favorite topics of all topics. Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah, yeah. I I constantly just have entire conversations in my head with myself when I'm listening to your podcast, because Aww. every topic you talk about, I have like, like, oh, yeah, I've got a story about that that I wish I could share. So it's Aww. really fun to actually get to talk to you guys about this stuff. Oh, fun. Well, we're so excited. And so what we've done
0: for this episode, then we've all essentially, I guess we have picked our Travel heroines. Is that what we're going to – is that what we're calling Mm. it? Um, Yes. So we've each picked one that we're going to talk through and I guess, yeah, go through why we think they're really cool and badass and what makes them a deviant woman. Um, Yes. Yeah. So who's kicking it off? Who was going first?
2: Well, I thought that I might start. And um, one of the reasons that I thought I would start is because this was a tough one for me because I – I feel like I've actually got uh, two women who are just, you know, absolute peak inspiration for me. And um, Lauren and I have actually done, uh, in back in season one, we've done an episode on both of these women before. So um, I'm going to try and be as sort of – brief and succinct as I can be about the one that I've chosen today, uh, because for those who are listening out there who haven't listened to those episodes, they can feel free to go back to Deviant Women Season 1 and listen to our full episode on Isabel Eberhardt, who's the woman I'm going to talk about today, and then we also have another full episode on Ushi Obermeyer, who is my other travel heroine, but who unfortunately... I, I can't talk about today. I can't <laughs> talk about them both. You can't talk you can't about can't them all. <laughs> no, that's right. Um, but actually, it's really funny because um, in preparation for this, I went back and listened to the episode we did on Isabel Eberhardt, and it's really funny, Lauren. Listening to our first season episode—that was
3: episode two. It like, was episode it was our second two. Episode ever. We were yeah. babies. We had no idea what we were doing. <sighs> We, I mean, Steph and I still
0: don't.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But it was, it's so funny listening to like, how. anyway, so I think basically what I'm doing is I'm just trying to put a little caveat in for those listeners who do go back and listen to those early episodes. We've come a long way since then. I'd like to say. Yeah.
3: And, and I guess this is the chance for you to like amend anything or like right any wrongs. I don't know if you feel like you made any wrongs in the episode. It's just like it's your chance at like go round two.
2: Yeah. Well, actually, I don't think I did, to be honest. I, I feel like I. It was all factually like my,
3: correct and. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. I feel like my research was, was pretty solid. Um, so yeah, so Isabel Eberhardt is, um, obviously a traveler. Um, hence why I've picked her for today's episode. And the reason I picked her is because. Years and years and years ago when I was in my early 20s and I was about to head off and do my very first travel abroad on my own, um, I went to like a travel expo and I um, sat in on a uh, like a, a little talk by this woman who was basically, essentially she was giving a talk about solo female travel and you know, which is exactly what I needed to hear. You know, um, all the things that you need to think about as uh, a woman going out into the world to mm. travel on your own. Um, and there's just a
3: few of those.
2: A few of those things that you have to think <laughs> about, and I am I am endlessly like shocked when I talk to male friends who travel and just like the ease with which they do shit that I have <laughs> to think about so hard before I can do those things. Like, anyway, but that's. <laughs> That's a whole nother tangent to go down. Um, And at the end of this talk, there was sort of these little, you know, um, information sheets that were being handed out. And on one of these information sheets about, you know, about travelling on your own as a woman, there was a quote. And this quote was from... um, this woman who I'd never heard of called Isabel Eberhardt. And it was a a really inspirational quote basically about this idea that, you know, when you travel, true travel depends on solitude. It depends on going out into the world Mm. on your own, on your own terms, relying on yourself and no one else. And she, she talks about this idea of the vagabond and how the vagabond is the only true free traveler because, the Vagabond has nothing but the horizon ahead of them. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I was just – I was really captivated by this idea uh, and really captivated by by the words. So I looked into her further and I discovered that she was, as I said, indeed a traveller and she was born in Geneva in 1877. So she was this solo female traveller back in the 1800s which, of course – um, you know, as we know, was a difficult thing to be at the time, mm-hmm. and um, she was European and usually European women um, only traveled with an escort, uh, a family member um, you know they they wouldn 't head off into the world on their own, far too difficult, far too dangerous, uh, far too um, not respectable, basically. So she was the illegitimate daughter of a former Russian Orthodox priest who had become basically um, an an anarchist and a part Russian, part German Jewish mother. Now they uh, eloped together to Geneva and um, Isabel's father sort of brought her up um, alongside her brother's to dress as a boy in order for her to go out into the streets of Geneva and to be able to um, interact in in society and do the same things her brothers could do in order to give her this freedom. And so dressing as a man is, I think, um, a theme that we might come back to in another one of our stories today. (laughs) Possibly, (laughs) Possibly. Um, and cause it's a really interesting thing that, you know, that actually really gives, um, women of a certain time and class, um, access into a world that they'd otherwise, um, be denied. So for much of, much of her sort of short adult life, because she did die quite tragically young, um, she went traveling around North Africa where she converted to Islam and she basically became a nomad traveling across the Sahara. So very early in life when she um, was dressing in in boys' clothes and she was going out in the world, she realized that she wanted more. This is all she wanted to do was to travel. So she and her mother left together to head to uh, North Africa. And when they arrived there, as I said, the first thing they did was they converted to Islam. Um, And this was super important in Isabel's life. And she basically, she went on to become, um, obviously, as I said, I'm giving you the condensed version today. Um, And if you want to know all the nitty gritty and details, then uh, please listen to the full episode that we have on her. Um, But she basically went on to be a journalist and a writer. And so much of her writing is about her connection between travel um the Sahara, the environment she finds herself in, and her spiritual life. And her writing is, a mu- is as much about her travel as it is about this idea of being alone, of the solitude mm. that she finds herself in. And, you know, in these current times of isolation, that's also <laughs> pretty re- relevant, I would it's think. It's very you know? relevant right she now.
0: Keep-
2: yeah, and she keeps coming back to this idea of the beauty of solitude and the beauty yeah. of self-reflection and the beauty of finding things for yourself on your own terms with no other influence um, and not relying on anyone else. And of course, you know, she's not just doing this in the confines of her self-isolation in her house. She, <laughs> she is, <laughs> she is riding around the desert on horseback, Um yeah. But it's I a do. Little bit different. It's a little bit different. But I do think that this idea of, you know, of sort of, um, that solitude that's required for that inner reflection mm. is, is really key. And so when she was traveling around North Africa in order to move among, uh, the people, and she did speak multiple languages, um, so she had no trouble whatsoever in, um, moving among, uh, the local people. She dressed in uh, male Arabic clothing for um, pretty much her entire life in North Africa, she um, presented as a man. Now, this is an interesting one because it's not necessarily that she identified as a man. There's um, there's nothing in her writing, there's nothing in um, her uh, her memoirs to suggest that she actually identified as a, as a male. Mm. It's much more that dressing as a man and having this male persona allowed her into parts of Muslim society that she otherwise would never have been allowed um, to have anything to do with.
3: And probably offered her a lot of safety as well. Like thinking about what you said at the top about, you know, all of these extra things that solo female travelers have to think about. Yeah. Travelling as a man can, can overcome so many of those barriers.
2: Yeah, that's right. And, and so many of those threats as well. Yeah. Um, but, you know, a lot of biographers of Isabel have also suggested that um, it was really just sort of the politeness of um, Islamic society that meant that nobody bothered to point out that they didn't really believe she was a man um (laughs) yeah so most biographers um are pretty sure that no one really bought this um idea that she was indeed a man everyone was pretty much aware of the fact that she was really a woman um and part and parcel of this was the fact that she took multiple male lovers um so saucy
0: (laughs)
3: yeah so I also wonder how much she was able to get away with that because she was a white woman and a, a woman with some means, you know, like I, I wonder how much her, her class and race plays into her ability to kind of not be called out for it.
2: Yeah, well, she didn't really have any means, actually. She, she, okay. yeah, her, um, because she was an illegitimate daughter, when her father died, she didn't end up with anything. Um, mm. And she, she really didn't, she did she didn't really live with much money at all. In, in fact, um, in quite for quite a lot of her life, she lived in poverty. Um, she she joined a Sufi brotherhood um, and relied a lot on the generosity of the Sufi brotherhood, which uh, had basically um, rules and regulations in place where you know hospitality was necessary. If someone knocked on your door and mm. asked to stay there, you had to say yes um, and. So she really, she didn't have any money with which to sway anyone's opinion of her. Um, So I don't think that that... Played into it so much. Mm. You can Um, see how much I
3: remember of the story. (laughs) (laughs) You'll have to go
0: listen back to your own episodes.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's been three years. Yeah, that's (laughs) right. It's been it's been it's been a long time. But her writing is beautiful because her writing is basically it's not narrative driven. It's not plot driven. It's just very and there's a lot of books published with her work. Um, and it's really just about snapshots of scenery and landscapes and experiences and and interactions with people she meets along the way it is really what traveling it's is about her writing cuz her you know traveling isn't necessarily when we go traveling it's not necessarily this kind of like point a to point b narrative of our lives this great wonderful story that might have you know this really perfect plot for us sometimes you know That might be great we can turn that into eat pray love or whatever but Mm. for a lot of travelers and a lot of traveling it is just snapshots of people you meet along the way and there isn't necessarily like necessarily some kind of cohesive um narrative to that and Mm. that's what her writing is it's just those impressions of the landscapes and the people and the travels um and so she basically she spent years wandering the Sahara, as I said, um, she did fall in love and marry an Algerian soldier, um, but when she continued to travel and, uh, head off into the, into the dunes, and whenever she did, she left him behind. She always traveled on her own i love it that <laughs> yeah exactly i mean i feel because like that would really... be me
0: one day that's what Steph and I always say like one day when i'm married i'm gonna just be leaving my husband behind and going on my own solo travels
3: yeah yes exactly <laughs> i do that i've i've traveled without brendan on multiple occasions that's yeah. why I at least yep. a month
1: i feel like yeah. that actually is my life right now
2: like thank god andrew's super supportive yeah. of me doing this
1: but <laughs> yeah that's what i do <laughs>
2: yeah and I've, I i mean I've done more travel on my own than I have with other people mm-hmm. I mean I've been lucky enough to do some travels with people and to meet people along the way friends along the way and spend time with them but for the most part it has been yeah um solo travel I, pref- and so I, think I prefer that- it I mean I'm, I'm to the yeah. point I think Steph and I Same. have talked
0: about this before but I'm like I much prefer going off on my own I'm on my own schedule I can do my own thing um yep. yeah mm. it's just my yep. preference now
1: same yeah, totally, so yeah. what I'm just thinking for the Algerian man of that time, too, how forward thinking of him as well to be supportive of this, or yes, like did absolutely. he know she traveled as a man, like do we know
2: any yep. of that, yeah, 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 so he knew all about um her her life, he knew all about um her male persona. She actually did have an attempt made on her life at one point. She was attacked, um, and she was uh, she was injured. Her arm was severely injured, wow. uh, but she survived. And she, when she appeared in court, her husband sort of was saying to her, "You know, you should really appear in court." um, dressed as a woman in order to, you know, get the, 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 court on side and to feel sorry for you. And, you know, play up the woman card, right? quote unquote, woman, quote unquote woman card. Um, and she, she didn't want to, she was like, no, I, I'm, you know, this is more than just, this is actually about more than just this kind of presentation of femininity. It's about who I, you know, who I, I really am. And as I said, it wasn't that she identified as as a male, but she did identify as this strong, independent individual, and that's how she wanted to present herself. She didn't want to present herself as this meek and mild, managed, mm-hmm. you know, sort of European woman. So take pity on me. Mm. Um, yeah. Good honor. And yeah, so he was he was fully aware of. He was of, a feminist um, himself. I love it. He was, and but it's funny because when they got married. She did dress in a wedding dress and she wore a wig. Oh, right.
0: Oh. Yeah.
2: So that was probably one of the only times in her life where she was like, all right, you know what? I'm going to be a bit femme. I'm going to go I'll femme.
3: Go, go super femme.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he, but of course, you know, sadly, all these stories have to end sadly, don't they? Mm. Um and she is part of our 27 club, I have to say. Oh, right. Maybe she was yeah, like the OG. She, the OG. <laughs>
0: the OG of the 27 club?
2: <laughs> she might have. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I think there were probably some poets earlier. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. <laughs> that probably preceded her. That would be a good a episode for you earlier. guys.
0: The OG 27 clubs
2: <laughs> of women. Actually, that's, I reckon we could do that. That's not bad. Uh, but, um, yeah, so sadly, she died at 27 if... You will believe it in the middle of the desert in a flash flood. Oh, oh wow! God. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh. She dr- she drowned in a flash flood in the middle of the Sahara Desert. That's some bad luck. <laughs> Which, I know. Like what a horrendous irony! But um, yeah. so sadly, a life cut really short but she had she left behind so much writing um and i fully recommend it um for anyone who's interested in that sort of you know those impressions of landscapes and places and people and what life was like traveling around north africa in the late 1800s mm. because i mean who doesn't who the hell doesn't want to know about that i mean That's, i think it's <laughs> what I we
0: talk about solo travel even now in 2020 for women and it's still some people are kind of like you know, I remember going to Morocco on my own about nine years mm-hmm. ago and people kind of looked at me going, you're going to go to Morocco by yourself as a woman. So I can only mm-hmm. imagine yep. if people are still kind of thinking that's a weird, a weird concept back then in the late 1800s for her to be doing it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's such an inspiration to me. I I think she's absolutely fabulous. And I think more people should know her name and more people yeah. should read her work. I love her I love it. Yeah, there's lots more I could say about her, but you know, we we can't just talk about Isabel.
0: <laughs> oh, I'm definitely I'm gonna re-listen to that episode.
2: Yeah, but do do forgive our um our early forays. <laughs> <laughs> we've all progressed. Don't worry. <laughs> Who who's gonna share next?
3: Yeah, now we've got to follow on from that, right?
0: I feel like the woman I chose. There's a lot of similarities um mm. to the previous one and i feel like this is the whole idea of dressing like a man and being an independent woman i think we're all going to have very similar kind
3: of stories with with the yeah, women that we have there's already quite a few things so i was like mm, that's a point i'm going to pick up on later when i tell my story yeah exactly
0: <laughs> but um all right so the woman i've chosen is aloha wanderwell have you guys heard of her before
3: I yeah. uh, no, I hadn't until you mentioned her but what an amazing name
0: yeah so good she was an author she was a filmmaker a pilot but she was most well known as an explorer and she was the first woman to drive around the world in a car um and at the oh, time cool. yeah very cool and at the time she was considered the world's most traveled woman so she was kind of like the Amelia Earhart of cars if you yeah, will cool. yeah cool so this was cool. in the early 1920s so her story, in a nutshell, in 1922, she met a man named Walter Wanderwell. Now, coincidence, they have the same name? No. Um, he actually... <laughs> Aloha Wanderwell was her stage name. So she was given that name okay. by Walter. Um, so he hired Aloha um, for this round-the-world expedition that he was going on. And he needed someone to come on and be sort of the secretary uh a filmmaker and he put out this ad in the newspaper and he said he was looking for a woman who had brains beauty and breeches so you know like the slacks (laughs) that men would wear (laughs) so kind of pointing out you know saying like someone that can keep up with the boys and so aloha saw this and she applied for the role and the main reason she got hired was because she was fluent in English, French, Spanish, Italian. She could also speak oh Russian and Chinese and Japanese. Um, oh, my God. Wow. Not as fluent, but she she could get by. So she could speak all these languages. Wow. She also had experience in uh, filmmaking. So they were going to film this whole expedition and, and, and make this sort of documentary, if you will, when it was done. So he hired her very quickly Um, And soon after they left on the expedition, he actually decided, so Walter was going to be the face of this, but he thought, actually, I've got this gorgeous, intelligent, she was like a six foot tall, blonde beauty. And he was like, I'm going to make her the face of this expedition. So he did. So... The journey itself that they went on, it lasted seven years. They went from 1922 oh to 1929. They did it all in a Ford Model T car. So this was like one of the first Whoa. cars that was like affordable to quote unquote sort of regular common people at the time.
3: Oh my God. Um, I also, I can't imagine that that would have very good suspension or right? like steering. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it, it was definitely, there was definitely some grueling uh, drives for them. Yeah yeah, park. along the journey. And it was partially sponsored by Ford, so hence the car. But most ah. of the funding that they had over the seven years was made by Aloha making these personal appearances in the different countries that she visited. So she would show films of their travels, um, and just do speaking engagements. and people loved her. Like this expedition was mm. being followed by everyone around the world. Um so that's how they funded it for the seven years. And by the end of the expedition in nineteen twenty nine, She had traveled to 80 different countries. So that spanned across Europe, the Middle East, India, Japan, China, uh, what was known as the Soviet Union at the time, Cuba, and Africa. So 80 countries in a car. So here's why I think she is a deviant (laughs) woman and why she's so badass. So in the 20s, this was all happening in the 1920s. So this was a time where women's rights were just starting to be recognized. So they were able to vote. um, And while most women at the time were kind of tiptoeing into independence, so they would, you know, maybe take up a job or Mm. another example, like smoking and dancing in public, like women never dreamt of doing that before the twenties. And here was a time now they were allowed to be a bit more free. Aloha was jumping headfirst into this women's rights movement and was like, I'm going to travel around the world in a car. (laughs) <laughs> like, yeah, and women were not, you know, they weren't doing stuff like this. And she did all this. Can you guys? I'm just gonna let everyone take a guess. How old do you think she was when she set off on this journey in 1922? Oh.
1: 19.
3: Ooh, 19. Yeah, I was gonna say like 20. Okay. Well,
2: I, I watched. I actually watched a couple of videos of, um, of her when you okay. mentioned her. When you said the name, I was like, who's this? And I found some videos of her online. And she doesn't look all that old in the mm-hmm. videos. Like, no. she looks like she's probably in her
0: 20s. Okay, good guess. When she left in 1922, when she started this, she was 16. Oh. 16 years old. So when I read that,
3: oh dear, I was
0: thinking back to when I was 16. I'm like, what was I doing at 16? <laughs> and I mean, oh I was definitely just an angsty teenager. Like, drinking in the parking lot with my friends (laughs) steph me and you were together doing exactly
1: that that was literally me and you were in brantford drinking in parks yeah
0: yeah we (laughs) we were not doing cool shit like that and so by the time they finished this journey she was only 23 and she traveled to 80 different countries i had i don't think i had left canada at 23 i had not been anywhere to travel to that many places so young on this like crazy expedition so here's some of the cool stuff. So this is what I, I, I read her, um, her memoirs and, and it's just amazing the adventures that she went on during mm. the seven years. Um, mm. but I'm just going to point out some of the really cool shit that she did. So, okay. When they started the expedition, she, they were in France um, and she obviously had, there was a bit of a team. So there was Walter. He was again, the, the head honcho in this. Um, but she got into an argument with him. And she decided to quit the expedition, like, very soon after it started. So she oh, haste, really? yeah, she haste. I mean, imagine, she's 16, right? Like, she was probably oh, yeah. an angsty teenager as well, and she didn't get her <laughs> way and stomped <laughs> her foot and was like, I quit. Um, Yeah. I hate you. Yeah, exactly. You. You're
3: not my real dad. Yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> Problematic. But soon, yeah, soon after, she saw that they were going to India, and she was like, Oh damn it! I shouldn't have quit. I need to get back on onto this uh, this trip with them. So she got back in touch with Walter and was like, "I'm really sorry. Can I come back on?" He was like, "That's fine, but we've come we've we've made it to Cairo. You've got to come meet us in Cairo." And she was obviously on her own, so she's like, "Right, stay there. I'll figure out a way." So she took a passenger boat. Now, well, she went to get a ticket, and she could only afford a fourth class ticket, which at the time they didn't allow women to travel on their own on fourth class because Mm. fourth class tickets were basically like men in the army, right? Like they were the only ones buying these cheap tickets. And she Mm. pleaded with them to actually purchase a ticket. And she said, I need to get on this boat. So they allowed her to, and she was then sleeping in communal quarters with men. So she's a (laughs) 16 year old girl sleeping on a boat with a bunch of testosterone fueled, drunken army men And she actually had to fight off men in the middle of the night that were trying (gasps) to sexually assault her in the middle of the night. And she fought them off. Oh, oh my God. So imagine, again, being 16 years old on your own. 16. Yeah. And (sighs) having to go through this. Now, she eventually befriended one of the guys, and he sort of protected her. I can't remember how long the journey was, but she made it to Cairo on her own. um, And then she rejoined the expedition. So that was, like, right off the bat. She was already... Wow. She went through this hardship so yeah it was crazy so some of the other stuff she did so I know we talked about women disguising themselves as men so she did exactly that she when she went to Mecca and she wanted to pray in Mecca but only men were allowed to do that so she disguised herself as a man and in her memoir she actually talks about how it was easy for her to do that because she was this six foot tall had a Mm. this Mm. you know broad Mm -hmm. structure she said it was easy she put a hood up nobody questioned her so I thought that was quite funny um, some of the long distance drives they did, she said were absolutely grueling, so China and India were great examples, and at the time they had fuel oh. shortages. So what they had to do, oh my God, and I know we talked about you know keeping the car, they had to keep it going. They used mm. kerosene for petrol, and uh-huh. then they would use elephant fat for oil in oh the my car, God. so she was quite creative, and uh. how she kept that car going for seven years
2: um Wow, yeah, and could you imagine Jesus. how shit those roads would have been? I know. Right?
3: And like what happens when you just like take a wrong turn and you need to stop in a small town to ask for direction? Well, like, well, there's so many. Well, she's all right because so she,
2: like, she speaks like 20 languages, so she's yeah, okay. She's,
3: she's probably okay, but I'm still just like, oh, like where do you stop for a snack? You know, <laughs> like with those good road trip goodies. You know? Lauren, <laughs> always
2: thinking where do you stop for an avocado? Yeah. That's what Lauren's yeah. thinking.
0: For well and the thing was they weren't just on some like highway through this trip, right? So in Africa mm. there was parts of the journey they'd actually have to push the cars through mud and rivers or they'd have to find donkeys yeah. to pull the car mm. through parts of it. So like this happened again when I was reading her memoirs, it happened like every other day where they're like we had to get out and push again. And yeah. we almost like we didn't have enough food. <laughs> um she almost there was at one point in the yeah. Sudanese desert where she had to walk part of the journey because they couldn't drive the car through it. She almost died of dehydration. So she walked. They had like a lack of, like limited water, limited food. Um, So, I mean, it wasn't some like smooth sailing cruising down the highway around the world. You know, they were...
3: It's not glamorous. She's not driving with the top down and her headscarf on. Exactly.
0: Now, some, some other amazing and like funny things that happened along the way. So when she was in Siberia... She was granted the title of honorary Soviet colonel by the army. Now. (laughs) So she was up in her hotel room the one day where she was staying. And she got a note from the army saying, we need your requested downstairs at 3 PM. And she was (laughs) like freaking out thinking, Oh my God, what have I done? Am I in trouble? And then they, she went down at three as requested and they gave her this honorary title. Now, which is amazing but it ended up it came back to bite her in the ass when they were doing the journey through africa they were actually she was actually denied access into Rhodesia, which was a really integral part of their journey they needed to get through that country but because she had accepted this honorary title from the red army in siberia they considered her a communist and they said you're not coming through so instead they had to detour they had to take a boat from east africa to Alexandria in Egypt and not only did they have to do this detour but she did it while she had malaria so she picked up malaria oh my God. and oh. was like on her deathbed and she was like it's fine oh. we're gonna do this I mean I think the whole team had malaria by that point so wow. <laughs> I mean throughout all this all these experiences that she went and this is just a few of them like if you go if you read her memoirs Jeez. it's like one thing after the other so yeah yeah and on top yeah. of that she had a pet monkey named Chango, which that alone I'm Oh like, no. That's awesome. <laughs> so, this is just a few of the things and, and why she really inspired me. So, she was like a fierce feminist and she embodied what women I feel like it's aspire to be even now. So, she really like played by her own rules. She definitely proved that she could keep up with the boys. And she did this all at the age yeah. of 16. Like, 16 years old. That's amazing. That's um, unreal. But yeah, so at the age of 16, she had this insatiable desire to travel, and she built her life around traveling. That's something I definitely aspire to be. And the bonds and relationships she was able to make with so many different people from different cultures and races, and, like, she made friends with Chinese bandits while she was in China. Like, <gasps> she was like a oh confidant to them. Yeah yeah, people absolutely loved her. And she was always just looking for that next big adventure. You know, her life was never boring. And that's something I'm always like, I never want my life to be boring, whether I'm out traveling the world or in isolation at home during a global pandemic. (laughs) I feel like you can always find stuff to do. That's not boring. Mm -hmm. And I think she absolutely embodied that. And I think she's just amazing. And so when she finished this expedition at 23, she continued, I mean, she was so young then, her life was basically just starting, and she'd already traveled to 80 countries. Yes. But she...
2: Yeah. She, what do you do after that? Right? Like, what do you... And that's
0: <laughs> the thing. Some people might retire after that and go, I'm done. I'm going to chill at <laughs> home. I'm going to get, you know, a university degree. And she continued traveling for the rest of her life, and she made films, and she wrote about her travels, and she became a pilot. She just did cool shit all the time, and <laughs> I want to be like her and just do yeah. cool stuff the rest of my life. So...
2: Cool shit all the time. Cool shit all the yeah. time. Yeah, so it's to that. Yeah. Can I ask a question? I am, um, you, I, like I said, and like you just mentioned as well, like there are films that you can see. And in, um, some of the films, you can see like people putting stickers on the car and stuff like that. Yeah. So obviously, like they collected stickers where they went. Mm-hmm. Do you know, do you know what happened to the car? Is the car somewhere? Oh, Does it still exist? Is it in a museum or that something? That's such a good
0: question. And I don't know. I, I would imagine probably. I would hope so
3: because that's such a probably, massive piece of history right I am surprised that it didn't break down into a million pieces that are scattered across the globe like right. well maybe it
2: did maybe it did maybe and it, it got did. trashed it could
0: be yeah that's a good question I'll have to look it up after
2: yeah you'd hope it'd be in a museum or something because what a like what an amazing sort of yes. account of all those places at such a specific Period of history, yeah. like how amazing! Yeah.
0: yeah, they've got to have the car somewhere. And so, yeah, if you if you guys want to learn more, I suggest reading her memoirs. So it's it's called Aloha Wanderwall, Call to Adventure, and it's absolutely fascinating <laughs> for someone to be uh, the writing from you know she did this in the twenties, right? So she visited so many places mm. that don't even exist anymore. So even still, I had to sort yes. of look up. I'm like, what is this country? And uh, mm. so it's just yeah, she's absolutely fascinating. That's who yeah. I picked.
2: <laughs> well done. That was brilliant. I- yeah,
3: that's amazing. Mm-hmm. The that road trip thing is something that I feel so drawn to. Like I'm a big road road trip fan and like the idea <laughs> But that's incredible. 7 years. My god. That is a lot.
1: I, I was really proud of myself driving five months through all the US states and now I'm like yeah.
2: very unimpressive.
0: Yeah. And I thought of you, Steph, when I did this. I'm one. still impressed.
2: I'm still very yeah, impressed very impressed. Yeah.
0: Steph, you love a road trip. So I was thinking, I'm like, mm-hmm. I wonder if Steph could drive for seven years. I mean, think then though, they I didn't could. they didn't have a radio in the car. There was no tunes going. Like yeah. Yeah, so she's just cruising with
2: just a hundred oh. bottles of beer on the wall, on repeat.
1: <laughs> my soul, my soul is like most filled when I'm on the road, like open road, mm. just going yeah. somewhere I've never been. And you, as you were yeah. just talking, I was like, I want to be this woman, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, totally. Oh, I love it.
3: I have a a, um, a like I follow in like van life instagram pages yes same because mm. that's just my dream is to to have a van and just go out into the world and and live and just be on the road all the time oh,
0: maybe same. one day oh, one day <laughs> one day who's cool. next
3: is it my turn? I think so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I was going to say I feel like I'm very much following the theme here, but of course I don't think that that's perhaps surprising given that this <laughs> is an episode all about like our female travel heroes. So like they tend to be very like intrepid uh, women who like strike out on their own. That's kind of a given. Um, but the my figure today is um, she's a little bit more contemporary than the ones we've had so far. Um, it's Robin Davidson. Um I don't know if you guys know Robin Davidson. She's sort of famous in Australia for uh, her memoir, Tracks, um, and she's sort of known as the Camel Lady. Okay.
0: I've never heard of her before. But <laughs> that sounds like a no. Uh, but I'm, <laughs> I want to learn all about the Camel Lady.
3: <laughs> she, yeah. Yeah. So that, that seems a little bit like I came across her story for the first time when I was in undergrad and I was taking a travel writing course, which... I took when I was like 19 and like hadn't really traveled anywhere yet, which now to me feels like such a waste. I'm like, Oh, <laughs> I would love to do that course again. Cause I would just get so much more out of it. But anyway, so I encountered him on memoir then because we studied it and I just connected with her so much more than any other of the, like, travel writers that we studied who were mostly men, to be fair. Mm. Um, And Robin Davidson is, I mean, she's a feminist badass. Basically, she walked... Two thousand seven hundred kilometers across Australia with her what? dog whose name is Diggity. Oh. I know. Two thousand seven hundred kilometers. That's insane. Across the I did
0: three kilometers yesterday yes. on my half an hour where I was allowed out of the house <laughs> and I was tired.
1: I was gonna say I do ten and I'm like, I am a badass. Oh god, you beat <laughs> yeah. me by seven stuff.
3: Yeah. <laughs> and she's she inspires me, I think, again. I think the theme of like solo female travelers has come up. A couple of times. And while I, I, look, I have never trekked across the desert on my own and I don't uh, necessarily aspire to trek across (laughs) the the desert on my own. But I do really love things like hiking on my own. I recently, well, not recently anymore. It was two years ago now. I um, was in California on my own and I, I this is where I sort of became obsessed with van life because I had this tiny little van by myself and I just drove up the coast um, oh. for a few weeks and every day I went on these different treks, um, different hikes, and I was camping and it was just amazing to spend those few weeks completely by myself mm. um, walking every day. And um, so walking in like the Redwoods versus – trekking across the Australian desert are <laughs> two extremely different things. But I feel like there's a real, it's that sense of solitude that you were talking about earlier, Alicia, that I think mm. is that really strong connection here. Mm-hmm. And, the, and being brave enough to kind of go off into these spaces which we are told as women are really really dangerous like Mm. the desert is not somewhere that women are really supposed to go on their own the forest is somewhere that women are not really supposed to go on their own which is you know in my case what i wanted to do um i should say my other big inspo for my trip was um like cheryl strade yeah who wrote wild which is a little bit closer to to what i was doing not that i hiked the pct but you know one day Mm -hmm. um And so I think it is, it's that, that having that bravery and that sense of like, fuck it, no, I can go off into the wilderness on my own. And I think it's a really different way of encountering nature on your own, um, for these kinds of women than it is for a lot of men, you know, like David Henry Thoreau and and, and Mm. guys like that who have this sort of.
2: When you're
0: ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring.
3: this very masculine idea of being in nature as, as a kind of way of, like, conquering nature or mm-hmm. being yeah. um, a dominant force within nature or proving that you can, you know, have that masculine That you can
2: overcome, yeah, overcome nature. Those somehow. are, like, yeah. the guys that, yeah. like,
0: drink their urine in, in the wild, right? Yeah,
3: <laughs> right, exactly. Like, bear grills. They're like, mm, watch me sleep in a bear. <laughs> um, whereas for Robin Davidson, it's really completely about being subsumed into nature by being connected to nature as closely as she possibly can and about sort of dis and I guess the other thing sorry I kind of maybe I'll talk about this a little bit more at the end but I think we often have this idea of wanting to travel to find ourselves right like that's such a big a big thing when we talk about travel and solo travel and I, I think it's it's a really important thing and I've definitely learned enormous amounts about myself from traveling. I've formed so much of my identity through traveling. I think I'm my best self when I'm traveling, but there is also something to the idea of losing your sense of self in mm-hmm. traveling of yes, shedding your identity and, and sort of having that not really developing an idea of yourself in relationship to the other, mm-hmm. but just mm-hmm. sort of letting go completely. And I think it's a very temporary state but I also think it's a very important one. So that's my little ramble about why mm. I love Robin Davidson <laughs> so much. Um, and I saw her speak recently as well, and I just had such an amazing fangirl movement like watching her because she's um, she still travels and talks and things. She's a nomad writer these days. Um, but anyway, a little bit about her. So she was born in 1950 in a cattle station in Queensland, and her dad was this, like uh naturalist and you know the her and her sister sort of grew up living wild you know in their big property in the outback um but when she was quite young i think she was 11 her mother died by suicide Mm, and so she and her sister went to live with their aunt until they went to boarding school so she had a kind of abrupt sort of move into out of that kind of wildness of the outback um but then in the late 60s so we're kind of at the peak hippie movement time she uh hitchhiked of course hitchhiked her way to sydney uh became a car dealer and an illegal um gambling house she squatted in this bohemian share house in sydney um, where they're with all of these intellectuals and artists and became quite influenced by a lot of their ideas. She also started to learn a lot about like zoology and, and about animals from some of these people. And I think a lot of this this kind of whole era that, you know, the artistic and intellectual freedom of the late 60s was pretty inspiring to her. And she had this yearning uh, to do something big and challenging with her life. And so she hatched this plan that she was going to walk across the Australian <sighs> desert. That's, Whew. Which, like, what, do you just wake up plan. one
0: day and you're like, I'm going to do this. I, it's insane. Yeah.
3: <laughs> and like, let's be honest, many people have died walking across the Australian desert. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's an, a difficult place if you don't know mm. a lot about it especially for, for white people who think they know better and they can just, oh, yeah, no, it's fine. Oh, I'll God. just wander out into the desert. I mean, mine and Steph's um, Canadian
0: mm. blood and skin would not
2: survive. <laughs> no, <laughs> i be no. so sunburnt in 10 seconds.
0: I would be, like, two kilometers in. I'd be done. <laughs> You'd have to drag me out. Yeah. <laughs>
3: well I guess she was pretty smart about it like she knew a lot of these things you know like I think yeah she she basically I
2: was just gonna say she also had Adam Driver to help her but yeah (laughs) yeah
3: Yeah, Adam Driver aka Rick Smolin who was a photographer so she ended up in Alice Springs and she knew that she couldn't really do this expedition completely alone but her plan was to become a camellia, So she arrived in Alice Springs with like quote $6 a small suitcase full of inappropriate clothing. And she was quickly labeled the town's next rape case if that <gasps> tells you anything. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh, That's no. awful. It says a lot about Alice Springs in the early 1970s let's be honest um and basically when she started talking about this plan nobody took her seriously like um she worked in a bar as she tried to kind of like convince these uh cameleers to take her on as an apprentice Uh, and even the police they didn't want to give her a, a like a rifle license because they were just like ugh we're just going to have to come and find your dead body in a few weeks. If we like (laughs) allow you, if we make it easier for you to go off on this journey. Um, So people were not very keen for her to do this. Um, She did eventually persuade an Afghani Camellia to take her on as an apprentice, but he was a total dick to her. Like he made her life really difficult and he totally exploited her and ripped her off after months of her working for him for free he refused to give her the camels that he promised her as payment. So she kind of had to just start all over again. Oh, God. So she didn't have any money. Yeah. She was sort of, like, frustrated because she invested all this time. And then she re- she met Adam Driver, who. Uh, <laughs> who plays rick smolan in the movie there is a film of tracks okay Um, so that's where adam driver comes from (laughs) not the actual
2: adam driver you said
1: that earlier and i was like yes they're going on a star wars adventure now
3: (laughs) um now rick uh he worked for national geographic he was a photographer um and he was pretty i guess taken by this w- young woman who was like i'm going to walk across the desert uh and i think she knew that she kind of needed him as well like so she very reluctantly very reluctantly um agreed to let him help her and together they pitched this as a story to national geographic so that they so that national geographic would fund the trip so It worked out for her, but she absolutely hated this. One of the really ironic things about Davidson being one of my travel writing heroes is that she never wanted to be a writer. She did not want to document the trip at all. uh, And she still doesn't consider herself a writer, despite the fact that she has several books and essays about travel and nomad life.
0: She'd be like nowadays, like people that don't have Instagram or social media. (laughs) yes oh my god yes i'll put my hands up. like i post everything i'm like look at this look at this and i mean mm. i find people really weird if they don't have facebook or instagram
3: i'm like how yes. could you not post that she would like hate it she would like stomp on your phone if you if you found her in the desert and you were like oh my god let's like post a photo together she would take your phone off you would throw uh-huh. it what
0: filter should so we use on this, this. <laughs> love it
3: um so she set off on a trip with four camels uh, and her dog diggity Um, And she did travel alone for the majority of the trip, but Rick came out three times to photograph sections of the trip. So um, he was sort of in and out a little bit. And she did, again, really hate this, even though the two kind of eventually struck up uh, this really cute friendship. And then they did also become lovers for a little while. I guess she was out in the desert on her own for a really long time. Uh, and must have missed human company because they totally hooked up um but she was also guided by a pitch and Jara man called mr eddie burke um and he took her through a lot of lands that she wasn't allowed as a um as a solo woman to try and a white woman to travel by herself so she was also guided um yeah guided properly and i think that's a really important part of this story as well. Cause I think that's what is something that not a lot of people really realize about the outback is that these lands are sacred lands, a lot of them, yeah. and mm-hmm. that you do have to travel through them in very particular ways. And you have mm-hmm. to honor the kind of way that you need, are supposed to travel through them. So, um, she was kind of, I guess, probably more aware of that in the 1970s than a lot of her contemporaries would have been. Mm-hmm. um, and like I said, her journey was totally about like absorbing herself into the land. She just wanted to disappear into it. And that's, I think, one of the reasons why she found like Rick to be a bit of a pest. Um, and so she would she write, writes about things like just walking while her period blood drips down her leg. And, oh. you know, she kind of tried to lift herself of this Western sense of time and, and structure. So, yeah. And I think, like I said, what makes her really special to me is this way that she traveled as a woman in a in i think what we might call and i i use this word with quotation marks around it in like a particularly feminine way and i mean that in opposition to like kind of traditional western um patriarchal kind of ways of wanting to conquer nature but it is about just wanting to be in it you Mm. know Um Mm.
0: and fully experience it not like you said even if she didn't want to write about it she didn't feel the need to yeah put it out there
3: and Mm. things like when Rick would take photos of her and he would think that she was like so beautiful and he'd he'd captured her amazingly and then he'd show her the photos expecting that she would be like flattered and apparently this is a quote that she said I'm not some goddamn model out here so she was just sort of just like just (laughs) fucking let me walk. <laughs> Just really yeah. I love
0: her. I want to be friends with her.
3: <laughs> yeah. She's very cool. And so she did successfully complete the trip. Like she had a few kind of very big um challenges and barriers. I don't want to give any spoilers because I think it's really worth reading tracks, um, her memoir. Mm. Um a few kind of particularly very heartbreaking moments along her trip. Um but she did make it she got to the West Coast Uh, and after the trip, she ended up moving to London where she wrote the book. Uh, she, when she was in London, she ended up living with Doris Lessing and she was there with Salman Rushdie. So good. Uh, Yeah. She was hanging out with some high class people. Bloody hell. Um, (laughs) She then went on to travel, uh, travel with and document nomadic people in India and Tibet. Um, oh, cool. particularly the Rajasthani sheepherders, And so she's, even though she has no qualif- like actual formal qualifications, she's considered to be like a, a quite significant social anthropologist. And she's written a lot of, well, mm. she's written a couple of books, but she's written a lot of essays about her experiences. And I think that's another thing as well, because there's not a lot, if you compare sort of like book length memoir, travel memoirs, there's definitely a lot more by men than there are by women. Mm. So I also, like, if you are interested in, in really good female travel writing, there is so many really good essays. Like there are so many amazing female travel essayists that I, I could, I have a whole list of them that I really want to talk about, but I probably
2: shouldn't, Um... (laughs) (laughs) but you can share them in the show notes. Can
3: I just give a couple?
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, go for it.
3: Yeah. I'll just give a couple of of ones I think everybody should check out if they like somebody like Robin Davidson. We've got, like, obviously Joan Didion. I mean, I say obviously, Mm -hmm. but that seems that way to me because she's just a Yeah. Essayist about time and place, particularly Simone de Beauvoir, who I think mm. might surprise some people because she's very famous as being a French philosopher and feminist, um, but she also wrote some really excellent travel essays. Rebecca Solnit is amazing. Um, mm. uh, Virginia Woolf also wrote essays. You know, Mary Shelley was a travel essayist or diarist. Um, yeah, so I could keep talking but I shan't, I'll get too carried away (laughs) talking about all of the other female travel writers that I love. But yeah, that is the story of the brief look into Robin Davidson's life.
2: Totally badass. I love her. See, the other thing though, that about that, that's really cool is that I love the idea of being alone, but alone with animals, alone with like a couple of camels and a dog, like yeah, And as, you know, we're all in isolation at the moment, I am feeling the absolute, I am so thankful for my cats, <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know?
0: I'm really jealous that you have cats.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like, I feel like, yes, you know, she's, she travels, but she's also got these animals with her that are also like another part of that, um, environment that she's in as well which is a really interesting part of her travel journey that's different obviously to a lot of the other figures that we've looked at
3: yeah
0: she obviously preferred the company of animals to men which i probably do as well to be honest yeah
1: same (laughs) (laughs) so i'm gonna jump in and my woman I, i think we'll see some commonalities with your woman and some differences as well so i actually picked um jean barret so she was from France, and
0: I loved your French accent, there, style.
1: <laughs> that was my entire French education up to grade eight, right there. Um, so she was a woman who, at the time, was considered a woman with very limited merits. Um, France was sending out its first ship, a scientific expedition around the world. going to be. It was supposed to be kind of an expedition to boast about France's uh scientific endeavors and how they were leading the world on that front and she wanted to be on that ship and she had absolutely mm. no merits to get <sighs> on that ship uh the top issue of concern and this is going back we're talking the 1700s here Whoa. so this is yeah we're going way oh, back i
3: seriously just assumed that you were talking like in the 80s no no <laughs> no, no, like I was just like, oh, yeah, scientific expedition. OK, cool. 1983, maybe. OK. No,
1: so she was born in 1740. We're going way Whoa. back here. Yeah. Oh, God.
0: So she paved the way for all of our women.
1: Awesome. <laughs> that we just she talked about. She did. She is a no, maybe she's the OG. She is the OG. And you know what? You'll see throughout her life, she encountered some OG men, too, who were at the forefront of being cool with women doing shit. um so obviously one of the top concerns for her to get on this expedition was the fact that she was a woman uh there was actually a royal ordinance at the time that forbid women from even boarding navy ships so not Mm. only could she not go on the expedition she wasn't even allowed on the ship to do anything
3: and it would have also i imagine been considered just generally kind of bad luck to have her on the ship i would assume like sailors are pretty superstitious and back Mm. then it was like women on ships are a no-no
1: yeah and well and add yeah. on to that she was also the daughter of laborers. she was basically a french peasant she had mm-hmm. no formal education she couldn't read or write she she literally did not stand a chance to take part on this journey but yeah, that's she... crazy how
3: the fuck did she get on that sorry if i'm sorry about yeah
1: that. <laughs> how the hell did she get on that ship so the thing <laughs> is <laughs> So the I know ship where this hired, is going. I think yes, the ship hired the ship hired <laughs> oh, a naturalist. <laughs> they hired a naturalist for the trip. That was this man called Philibert Commissin, and he and Jean were intimately familiar, shall we say? Mm? <laughs> so, <Hey. laughs> and the thing about Jean is that the reality is her not her knowledge of fauna was considered essentially unsurpassed. She grew up in nature. She grew up learning about everything. So she just had that. Homegrown knowledge. Mm. She knew more than anyone, and while he was the naturalist on board, it's actually very commonly accepted that she taught him much of what he <gasps> knew. Wow.
3: Yeah, of course she did. Yeah, but like women's knowledge of that kind of stuff—that's not real because that's <laughs> like learned through like domestic education. Exactly. Mm.
1: So he and her concocted a plan together, actually, to get her on the ship, and shockingly. Step one of this plan was for her to bind her chest down. Mm -hmm. To wrap it and wrap it and wrap it (laughs) it until she had no more chest. Um, Did they have duct tape back then? Is that what they used? (laughs) Uh, I think it was very specifically. They even said, I don't remember what it was, but they said the type of garment she was binding. It was like, um, and obviously she wore men's clothing. And what happened was on the morning the ship departed, anyone who was going to be an assistant, kind of tons of people could just show up and they were picking people. So her and Commerce had actually pretended they didn't know each other. And she showed up as a man who was familiar with botany. And they, he essentially picked her as if they didn't know each other. <laughs> so they had this whole facade, <laughs> but there was the whole plan for him to get her on board. And it worked. Tricky. Good job. Mm-hmm. So the p- plan worked. The ship's captain was this man named Bougainville. I'm probably saying that wrong. Bougainville. Andrea, help me out here. Your French is better than mine. Uh, I'd have to
0: see how it's spelled, but... <laughs>
1: Bougainville. Anyway, so <laughs> it was him, the ship's captain, and another 214 men on the ship. It was Jean Barrett. It was a 111-foot cargo vessel, and she just went by her father's name, which was Jean. So not too mm. far off. So they go on. They're traveling around the world. They're collecting specimens. They're doing all these things. Shockingly... Some of the men on the ship weren't entirely dumb. So Uh (laughs) (laughs) there were some whispers. Not all of them. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Most of them were by the sounds of it, just some weren't. And there were whispers about her. So, what bothered them a little bit of time is the fact that Commerson was given a captain's cabin to himself. And with her. With her as his assistant, they roomed together so she could actually change and use the bathroom and do all those kind of things in privacy. Mm. Whereas mm-hmm. if they'd been in any of the other rooms, it mm. probably would have been game up from the get-go. Oh
2: yeah, yeah
3: because they're all, they do everything together. There's no privacy on a ship.
2: Yeah. Yes. You just got to you got to mm. just piss in a corner and that's <laughs> going to give you away pretty quick.
3: Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> and but even with this, there were some telltale moments that made her super suspect. So, for example, did you know that there's a tradition for men to strip down and have a ritual baptism when they reach the equator? What? No. I did not know that either. But when it came to that moment, and they all did that, she was shockingly missing. Missing in action.
0: knowing one could find her. <laughs>
3: oh, guys, I, I, I ate something bad. I've got oh, to stay in my room.
0: Yeah. If anything's going to give it away, it's that.
3: <laughs> yeah.
1: After a number of these instances, basically a couple people complained to the captain and the captain called her in to address the matter directly. And she actually informed him that she was a eunuch and gave, and that is why she did not want to undress or pee or do anything in front of the other men. And that's the story she gave. And she gave a story to back it up. And it's unknown if the captain believed the story or was rather willing to accept it as was, Mm. but he did allow her to continue on the journey, which bought her a lot of time on the ship. So, While they were traveling around the world, both Jean and Comerson, they were able to collect over 6,000 botanical specimens throughout their travels. They went all through South America, South Pacific, New Guinea, the Indian Ocean, all over. And she was actually known for leading the sample collection. So she carried all the tools, the plants, the shells, the rocks, everything, while Comerson struggled to keep up with her. So Mm -hmm. everyone on the ship kind of knew that she was pulling her own weight, he to them (laughs) yeah um but that he was the one pulling all the weight so this was known and then halfway through their journey though she was actually outed and it's kind of in dispute exactly about the details what happened but the consensus is that it was a tahitian group who immediately when they came upon her they just treated her as a woman dressed as a man (gasps) oh and not even not even in a negative kind of way, because apparently this was commonly accepted practice back then.
3: That's interesting from a cultural perspective. Like, if you come from a culture where having a woman dressed as a man is just like totally normal and nobody makes a big deal out of it versus a culture like a repressive European culture where mm-hmm. like, oh my God, no, very strict gender rules. Yeah. We don't do that nonsense. Like, I, yeah, I, I imagine that you're much more willing to just be like, oh no, yeah, that's totally a chick dressed as a dude. That's fine.
2: Yeah, yeah, no biggie. (laughs) We don't even think twice about it. Yeah, and there's parallels there back to Isabel as well. Like, Mm -hmm. that's a really interesting parallel to draw. Like, those different cultural reactions Mm. to being like, yeah, it's a woman dressed as a man. That's, yeah. (laughs) Oh, well, that happens. (laughs)
1: Yeah, so they didn't actually care. But because they treated her this way and spoke about it openly, it essentially outed her to everyone else. Mm. And so what happened one day, not long after this, is that, A group of sailors confronted her on the island of Papua New Guinea and they forced her to strip. And Mm. there's a couple of varying accounts of how this happened. Some of them are horrific sounding. Um, Mm. She did fall pregnant and have (gasps) a child about nine months later. So there's suspicions. But they say the suspicions are based on inferences people have just made about the time. Like, assuming... So, there's no evidence for, no evidence against. It's really unknown what happened. But they know they did strip her down from... They had seven different accounts from people who were journaling as the ship was going that Mm. confirmed that they did strip her down and out her as a woman. Mm. So... Soon after this, the captain was forced to put her ashore on the next stop in Mauritius. In 1770, both she and Commerson disembarked and actually just began new lives on the island um, in Mauritius and continued with their careers as botanists and still went on expeditions traveling around. So it seems that even though she was outed, um, she was able to continue what she was doing just in a very different place. Uh, a few years after that, Comerson actually died, leaving his estate, for lack of a better word at the time, to her, uh, which she would gather later. Mm. She, she couldn't actually afford to make it back to France for a number of years. So eight years after she left Paris or left France as a man, she returned as a woman and she actually was the very first woman to circumnavigate the world.
2: wow Wow.
1: so it when she returned it wasn't known it wasn't celebrated or nothing and thankfully history would not forget due to the journals of all these men who were on the ship but funny enough take a guess as to who this fact was not lost on
2: Mm. trick question
1: (laughs) bougainville the ship's captain so he actually recognized this it sounds like he might have known this whole time He recognized this, Mm. and thanks to him, much to her complete surprise, she was actually awarded a state pension years later. Wow. He he did all the things, and the citation actually reads, Jean Buret, by means of a disguise, circumnavigated the globe on one of the vessels commanded by Monsieur de Bougainville. Her behavior was exemplary, and Monsieur de Bougainville refers to it with all due credit.
2: Oh, he turned out all right.
1: So Commerson, with whom she began the journey, actually named a genus of flowers um, and shrubs after her, which were they hmm. discovered together in Madagascar. But by the time they reached Europe, of course, they'd been renamed. And uh. it wasn't until 2012, some 235 plus years later, that a couple of biologists, Eric Tepe and Lynn Bowes, actually named a species after her where she was officially memorialized in the oh. world of botany.
2: Oh, yeah. awesome.
1: But I just kind of liked her because when I was, so when I was looking, I was looking at uh like tons of amazing women and things they've done. I didn't come across Aloha Wonderwell because to be honest, I probably would have picked her if I found her. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but I thought this was so badass because I just tried to put myself back in that time and I think of who I am as a person. And I would never be that quiet one Like, when someone tells me I can't do something, I'm like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. let me show you how I do it. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yep. And that's what she did. She had all the cards stacked against her. And she was like, I am going to make this happen one way or another. And she did. Yeah, I think that's incredible,
3: the fact that that she came from nothing, that she was literally a peasant woman who managed to do this. Mm -hmm. Like, I think so many of the women that we talk about on our podcast who've managed to have kind of similar adventures, they tend to be women from an educated background, even if they're maybe like Isabelle Eberhardt, you know, illegitimate and otherwise don't have the access to the same means. I guess they still have that kind of like social capital, that, uh, you know, an education that allows them to sort of be a little bit more um, free or have a little bit more agency in the world. But as a peasant, that's incredible that she managed to get that all, yeah. all happening.
1: Yeah, she had all the cards stacked against her. <laughs> yeah.
2: Um, Can I just say, when you were talking about, like, getting things named after them, is the Captain the Captain Bougainville, is that where we get Bougainvillea from? Like, oh, I don't know. Is that what a Bougainvillea mm, is named after? Is it named after him? That Sorry, that was just where my mind was going. When you were asking before about how to pronounce it, I was like, I wonder if it has anything to do with the Bougainvillea. I could be completely wrong. Totally wrong. <laughs> Who knows? I will. This
1: is a complete aside, but I one interesting thing I kind of chuckled at reading about her was that she actually, when they – were taken ashore onto Mauritius and some of the expeditions, they did a quite a bit of work with this man named Peter, who is the original Pied, Peter Peter Pied Pipe I'm not even what? gonna say it right. <laughs> but the guy that the tongue twister is about, they were with him. <laughs> oh Peter Peck a Picked a Pick Pipper Piper picked a peck
0: of pickle peppers.
1: <laughs> or the Pied Pied Piper pied piper yeah 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 but um
3: peter the pied piper (laughs) yeah so like wow i didn't know that that was a real person
1: real person yep (laughs) yeah yeah. i didn't either and she was with him (laughs) but she was obviously a fascinating woman and i just got to give a shout out to jeff moog so he writes for the adventure journal and he actually did a deep dive into her and i pulled a lot of this information from his writing if anyone's interested in learning a little bit more about her, definitely check out the adventure journal, Jeff Moog. You'll find it. We'll link to it in the yeah, show notes cool. as well. Yeah,
0: we should definitely link all the uh, the the memoirs and the essays yeah. and yeah. The so journals much to yeah.
3: read after this episode. Oh my for god! Sure. Which mm-hmm. I guess, seeing as Ooh. none of us can travel <laughs> travel physically in the world at the moment, yes, some really good travel memoir to read while we're all in lockdown. Uh, well, it's good time for it, isn't it? Exactly. Well, maybe
2: it is. Um- yeah. Or maybe it's an awful time for it because maybe it will make us all be like, Ah, I
3: want to go! I want to go out in the world. We're traveling vicariously. Think positively.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. True. 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 Darn. Yeah,
1: exactly.
3: Yeah. Well,
1: thank you, ladies. I just want to say this is the perfect way to round out International Women's Month by celebrating some historical international women.
3: It is, and yeah, like to to talk about the people who inspire our own lives in such a a direct way, and yeah. How, give us some nice things to think about to distract ourselves with at the moment. Absolutely.
2: And thank you so much for sharing those women. Um, I also feel a little bit now like that's at least three Deviant Women episodes we can't do anymore.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that was almost a Snapchat.
2: We can always, can go. always go deeper. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's good.
1: Yeah. All right.
0: Well, thanks guys. Thank that was super fun. Cool.
2: Damn,
1: damn! I am hyped. I am going to drive a car all around Australia, park it in the Australian Outback, and walk through the damn desert home. yes that is my new life. Plan.
0: You're gonna tick off all the boxes of and like do a mashup of all the women that we just learned about, and do a big tr- once yeah. we can travel again. Yeah, that's the trip we're planning.
1: I mean, I think being in a car is self-isolating. So maybe I will start.
0: (laughs) You do love a road trip. Oh, I love that episode. I'm so happy that we finally got to do it. And as we said before, if you guys haven't listened to Deviant Women yet, do so. Their episodes are amazing. And they put so much time and effort into their episodes. that (laughs)
1: Love the women of this episode. Love the women of deviant women and andrea i love you
0: oh i love you steph happy international women's month to you you too All the Shit I've Learned Abroad is a travel podcast focused on anything and everything related to travel. You can listen to us on multiple platforms from iTunes to Google Play Music and more. And with that please, if you have a chance, give us a five-star review on iTunes or whatever platform you listen on. That drives us up the charts and really, really helps us out. Want to support us on Patreon? Find us over at Shit I've Learned Abroad Pod. Donations start as low as just $1. Also, if you could follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Shit Abroad Pod and Facebook by searching All the Shit I've learned abroad. Thanks so much for listening.